Good morning, everyone. Uh, I don't know about you, but this last month has kind of been a little bit of a blur. There's something about this time of year, right, that just gets everything going at warp speed, it feels like. We're just moving at light speed through life. We've got Christmas concerts and Christmas parties and Christmas cards and Christmas family photos that we have to arrange. Uh, we have Christmas decorations that we're trying to hang, Christmas lights we're trying to repair and put in place and get up on the house. And then, of course, Christmas presents. All the, who are we buying presents for? What are we buying? Where are we going to buy them? How, are we even going to get them in time with all these shipping delays and everything else? And then on top of that, we're trying to keep Christ in Christmas in some way, of course, right? Trying to maintain family devotionals. We have our, our Advent wreath that we do at home. And so every week we're trying to get, get our, our Advent wreath going and make sure that we have time in the middle of all the craziness of everything else that's going on to celebrate Christ in all of this. But then, and then we have the icing on the cake. Life keeps pressing on in this season, regardless of all the festivities. So most schools keep going all the way into December. If you're, you're, your job, many people are working all the way through on Christmas Eve, sometimes into the evening, right? Chores have to be done. Errands, bills have to be paid. Dogs still need walking. Homes still need cleaning. You throw an illness or an accident or an injury in there, and you have the recipe for a perfect Christmas storm. I know this time last year, uh, my mom had just died, so Christmas was also a season when we were working to uh, put together a funeral service for her and grieving her death. This year, my dad went into hospital on Thanksgiving. He's been in and out of hospital since then uh, as they diagnosed him with uh, pancreatic cancer. I know many of you are walking through similar trials, and this Christmas may be the first one that you'll be celebrating without a loved one uh, at your side. And if you're feeling tired or stressed or overwhelmed or exhausted, honestly, I'm not surprised <laughs> because this whole last year has felt like just one thing after another. And yet, despite all this, I really do love this season of the year, even in the middle of the stress and the chaos. In fact, in some sense, the heightened stress makes it all the more special for me because at the very center of it all is one of the most incredible and significant moments in human history, the birth of Jesus Christ the hope of the world, the moment when God took on flesh and dwelled among us, when the God of the universe took the form of a servant, was born in the likeness of men, and walked and talked and, and broke bread with us. He's the center around which everything else revolves. All eyes, like here, Joseph and Mary, all eyes are focused on Jesus. And it's because of him that I can have hope, that we can have hope. 
whatever we're going through, however much stress and, and anxiety and frustration and disappointment, Jesus is there in the middle of it all. He is our peace, our hope, our joy, our, our strength, our confidence, our refuge, our fortress, our anchor. He is our Savior. He is our Lord, our King, the Messiah. He is ultimately Emmanuel, God with us. And this morning, we get to press pause on all the other stuff that's going on in our lives. To come here and to worship Him with our, with, in song and, and to worship Him through prayer and to worship Him through the reading of God's Word and to worship Him through the, the, the body and the blood of Christ. So would you join with me now before we dig into the text as, as we pause to pray? Lord, we are just so thankful for this opportunity that we have to to set aside all the other stuff in our lives that's pressing in and, and calling out for our attention, that's dragging us down and causing us stress, and, and, and Lord, to focus our hearts and minds on you this morning, our Savior, our King, our refuge, our sanctuary. Lord, meet us here this morning. Speak to us clearly this morning through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the main point of our sermon today is just very simple. It's Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But what does that phrase mean? We hear it every year at Christmas. God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. We sing songs, numerous songs. But what does this really mean? Well, I want you to uh, turn to Matthew 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Now, I enjoy so much reading Matthew's version of the Christmas story because Joseph usually doesn't get much airplay at this time of year, right? I mean, how many carols do you know about Joseph? Mary, did you know? Where's Joseph? Joseph, where did, did you know? Right? We're always hearing from angels up on high, even the drummer boy gets his own song. <laughs> Not Joseph. But what we lack in songs, we have written for us here in the first two chapters of Matthew. And it's kind of incredible, actually. Joseph and Mary, they're just regular people. They're not erudite teachers of the law. They're not part of the, the wealthy and uh, landowners. They're not movers and shakers. They're not influencers. They're both just average, normal people. Joseph is like the guy on the bus or the train sitting next to you that you kind of don't even really notice is there. Mary, she's like the woman that you pass in the aisle at Jewel that you're like vaguely aware there was someone who walked past, but you didn't really notice. They are the least likely, most famous people in history. And it's so interesting. We live in a culture that elevates celebrity, that idolizes success and pursues power and significance. And in such a world, this young couple stands out for not standing out at all. They're nobody. They effectively just blend into the background. 
There are few songs or carols about them because they're not the focus of the story. All that really matters about them is their obedience to God and their faithfulness to His plan. In fact, it's because of their humility and their faithfulness and their obedience to God that they often fade into the background. They're the the living embodiment of, of what John would say later, John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. You get that sense already from Joseph and Mary. I don't, I don't want you to miss this point because it's so counter-cultural today. We're told by the world that we need to make an impact. We need to leave a mark. We need to seize the day for your life to matter. You need to make a difference. You need to be seen. You need to be noticed. You need to be praised, lauded. You need to get adulation and attention. But Joseph and Mary, their impact came from their humble faithfulness to God and their simple subservience to His will. Which means every Christmas, they stand as a convicting reminder for you and for me. It's an opportunity to to pause and to reevaluate what we think we need to do, who we think we have to be, what we believe we must accomplish in order to be successful in life. Because Joseph and Mary show me that the success in God's eyes means trusting Him. Nothing fancy, nothing complicated, nothing that will get you fame or fortune or success or, or praise and honor in the world's eyes. Just faithfulness to the mission of our Lord. What makes Christians different is that when the world says trust in your gifts, your abilities, your attention, your, uh, I mean your, your, uh, your strength, your money, your business acumen, God says trust in me. So for example, when the money is running tight, do you freak out and start scrambling frantically trying to force the solution? Or, or do you pause and reflect back on all the ways that God has consistently, faithfully provided for you and sustained you and helped you and walked with you? And then choose to trust Him for the uncertain future as well. Now, of course, trusting God doesn't mean you just sit around and do nothing, Right? In that example of financial stress, you know, you may still have to rework your budget and adjust your spending and everything else. But, but what drives those actions? That's what matters. Is it a trust in God and His ability to see you through? Or is it confidence in yourself and your own abilities to solve this problem? Now look at this text with me. Verse 18. Joseph and Mary, they're betrothed, meaning they're engaged. Now, biblical times, betrothal, engagement, it looked a little bit different than it does today. So unlike today, when when people break off engagements all the time for no reason, back then, this was like a legally binding situation. At this point, they're they're sort of effectively married at this point. They're, They're not living together, 
but it's that serious, that concrete of a situation. So as soon as it becomes obvious that Mary is pregnant, Joseph has a huge problem on his hands. He's like, look, I know I didn't get her pregnant. The normal assumption, I'm guessing, is that perhaps somebody else was involved in this situation. But it's interesting because the tone of the text implies there's no anger or animosity here from Joseph. It's like the pieces don't connect, but he's not ready to throw her under the bus. Whatever he thinks about Mary, Joseph is described as being a just man. And justice in this situation means he has two choices. The first is to uh, subject Mary to a public trial. She's clearly committed adultery. There's no other way this could have happened. There should be a public trial. But there's another option also, which is a divorce, a quiet divorce. So, uh, I remember it's a divorce because his betrothal is effectively a marriage at this point. So in verse 19 we read, he chooses to quietly divorce her. Why? Because he doesn't want to put her to public shame. He recognizes that justice requires the betrothal to end, but mercy leads him to end things in the most loving and charitable way that he can. And it's at this point that God interrupts everything. An angel of the Lord appears to him as he's sleeping and says, um, look at verses 20 and 21, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew adds, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I know most of you have seen these verses a thousand times before, but this is earth-shattering news. Imagine you're Joseph. Just for a second, you're Joseph. He's literally an average Joe, and here's an angel sent from the Lord telling him that his fiancé's potentially illegitimate unborn child is actually somehow the Messiah. Not only that, but this child is the long-awaited fulfillment of prophecies stretching back 700 years to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah. This is mind-blowing stuff. It's almost unbelievable. I mean, I'm thinking 9 out of 10 other people are going to have a whole lot of follow-up questions for the angel, for God, for Mary, for everyone involved. But look at verse 24. What does Joseph do? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Let that sink in for a moment. Do you realize how rare that phrase is in the Bible. I mean, Joseph isn't the only one, but he's in this small minority of of people who faithfully and simply do what God tells them to do. 
He doesn't demand further proof. He doesn't second guess. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't wait around for some other sign or for everything to make sense to him. He just does what God says. Joseph exhibits a deep and profound faith in God through his actions. And I don't know about you, but I find this tremendously convicting. I mean, my faith frequently wavers. My fears often seem to rule the day. I can have this wonderful, rich devotional time with God in the morning, and then by lunchtime, my nerves are frayed to pieces. All those anxieties pressing in. And here's this guy, I mean, like Joseph, how in the world are you doing this? I I mean, trusting God like this. Joseph just moves forward with the plan. And notice, he's not just sitting around waiting for something to happen. There's actually a lot here that God wants him to do. You see, trust is a matter of the heart. And Joseph's heart is in the right place. He willingly submits all his hopes, all his dreams, all his plans, all his goals, his ideas, his assumptions, his entire future he gives to God. And then he moves forward according to the path set before him. But now, what does any of this have to do with Emmanuel? Well, hang in there. We're going to tie all these pieces together soon. For right now, I just want you to keep in mind Joseph's response to... I want you to keep in mind Joseph's response of trust in God when the angel reveals this miraculous news about the unborn child, right? I want you to get this. Joseph trusts God. Okay, so now it's time for a quick trip in our Christmas time machine. This is our Christmas time machine. Okay. We're going way, way, way back. Way back past the birth of Jesus all the way to the time of Isaiah. 730 years before Jesus is born. And the people of God are in a state of disarray. Okay? In the north, you had the the divided kingdom. In the north, you have Israel. In the south, you have Judah. For 200 years, the kingdom has been divided, and things are now going from bad to worse. So in the southern kingdom, King Ahaz is sitting on the throne. But war is imminent, and it's awful because it's their brothers to the north, Israel, who are threatening them. They've allied themselves with Syria, and they're threatening Judah. And all of this is because they're facing a threat from Assyria, from the east. Everyone crowding in. In other words, it's chaos. And Ahaz, King Ahaz, trapped in the middle in Jerusalem, is in a super precarious position. And everything looks bleak. In fact, in Isaiah 7, we read this. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Anyone else notice the wind earlier this week blowing everything, all trees and Christmas decorations and garbage cans getting blown down the street? And this is how Isaiah describes the emotional state of the king and his people getting blown all over the place. 
They're riding this emotional roller coaster and they're feeling sick to their stomach. You've experienced this before, right? Everything's going up and down, up and down. And it's in the middle of this admittedly, totally understandably scary and unpredictable situation that God sends Isaiah to speak to King Ahaz, not just to reassure him of God's protection, but to bring him a word of challenge as well. First, Isaiah tells the king, don't be afraid. In Isaiah 7, he says, says, fear not. These kings that are threatening you, they're not going to prevail. In fact, they're going to be destroyed. But then he adds something. It's It's almost like he can sense Ahaz. He's just not buying this. So Isaiah adds this word of warning. He says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. That's verse 9. If you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. It's a little bit like, you know, there are three ways you can blow out a candle, right? I've got these candles here. So the first, obviously, you can blow it out. That's for beginners, okay? Now, if you want to step up your candle-snuffing-out game a little bit, you can get super fancy and use your little candle-snuffer-outer. I don't know what the technical term is, so... Ah, see? You're not blowing wax anywhere. Very nice. But now, if you really want to get daring and adventurous, you know the third way, right? So you get to pinch out the flame with your, with your thumb and your... Uh, Oh, I see. But, okay, this is where you can't, you can't hesitate because you're, okay, sorry. All right. You get the picture. Your, your, your fingers are going to get burned, right? We'll do it again in a moment. And Isaiah's warning to Ahaz is a little like that. He's saying, if you're not firm in your faith, if you're hesitant, if you're half-hearted, your fingers are going to get burnt. And Isaiah's warning is like, look, this is what's going to happen to your kingdom. You're going to fail. Trust in God requires full confidence. And Isaiah, uh, so this period of time elapses. And Isaiah goes back to King Ahaz with another word from God. This is the king's last chance to display faith in God. But King Ahaz refuses to listen to Isaiah. And it's in response to his failure. It's in response to King Ahaz's failure that then Isaiah utters this Emmanuel prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does this mean? There's all sorts of debates about, you know, uh, uh, who this child would be, and whether the Hebrew here, the Hebrew word here, really means virgin or or young maiden or whatever. But regardless of how you answer those questions, one thing is very clear from the broader context in Isaiah. This is kind of a good news, bad news situation. So first, the good news, all right? 
Ahaz, don't fear Israel and Syria because the Lord will destroy them. God will be with his people by protecting them providentially from the immediate threat. It's like, yay, God with us, bringing us comfort and peace and protection. That's the sense of Emmanuel that we all know and love, especially at this time of year. But there's also bad news here for Ahaz as well, because judgment now looms large over Judah. Why? Well, despite God's clear admonition to Ahaz to trust God, instead, King Ahaz went to Assyria and said, hey, can you help me out? Because Ahaz wavered, because he didn't stand firm in his faith, the mighty Assyrian empire is now going to sweep in and destroy everyone. A few verses later, Isaiah talks about Assyria being like this great rushing flood of water that's going to sweep in and cover everything. So Emmanuel, God with us in this sense, is actually kind of a fearful thing to behold. It's a rebuke of Ahaz's lack of trust. And it's a reminder of who God really is. Remember, the Lord is the Holy One of Israel. Right? Think flames and thunder on Mount Sinai. Think uh, a covered up by the curtains in the Holy of Holies where no one can enter. Think anyone who looks on my face will die. Think all the laws in the book of Leviticus, trying to explain how on earth an unholy people can live or be near or approach a holy God. We all want God with us until we realize the weight and the responsibility of what that really means. Because you can't tame or control God. He's not a cute, cuddly little baby. He's an unstoppable force. You, you serve him, you worship him, or you will be judged by him. I know, that's not like a very Christmassy sounding message, right? Like you open up your Christmas card and it's like, hey, worship God or face judgment. <laughs> like Hallmark's not going to be printing those anytime soon. But it is an important balance to the otherwise kind of sickly sweet messages we often hear at this time of the year. And I want you to think about this, because would you really want it any other way? Yes, this is definitely a really strong word of warning for all those to resist him, because sinful people cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. But at the same time, this is also tremendously encouraging for those who have put their trust in him, especially when the world around us seems to be spinning out of control. Look, for example, at uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 8. This is like barely one chapter later, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah says, Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Go ahead, take counsel together. It will come to nothing. Speak a word, it will not stand. Why? For God is with us. 
In other words, Isaiah says, all those who oppose God will be shattered, shattered, shattered. Do you see that? He repeats it three times to make it crystal clear. No one can oppose God. Their foolish plans will come to nothing. It doesn't matter if it's Israel or Syria or Assyria or Babylon or Edom or the Philistines or Egypt or King Ahaz or whoever. All those who stand in God's way will be judged accordingly. And this is comforting because it means that God does see. He does know. And he will act. There is no injustice or evil that goes unnoticed or unpunished. As Isaiah will say a few verses later, God will either be your sanctuary, a place of refuge and protection and safety and healing and peace and comfort, or he will be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. That's the reality of God's presence with us. That was the choice Isaiah repeatedly presented to the people. Trust in God or trust in yourself. And the same choice remains for us today. And this then is where it comes full circle back to Joseph. Do you see now the full significance of his actions? King Ahaz's failure to trust God marked the beginning of the end for the southern kingdom of Judah and their eventual slide into exile. But where the great king Ahaz failed in stunning fashion, the humble, obedient Joseph excelled. Ahaz's lack of faith set in motion a cascading series of events leading to destruction and exile and the removal of God's presence. But Joseph's demonstration of faith set in motion a different series of events, leading to the return of God's presence among his people. Joseph's faith led to life and hope and peace for all people everywhere, for you and for me. But there's one last piece to this Emmanuel puzzle that we haven't touched on yet. When life, Emmanuel, God with us, is indeed a source of great strength and encouragement. After all, when life throws a snowball in your face, it's encouraging to know that God is with you, that you're not alone. This is the heart behind uh, Isaiah's words in chapter 43 of Isaiah, when he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. That's the message that we need to hear over and over again, right? The message of comfort in times of uncertainty. The message of hope in the bleak darkness of a sleepless night. But the question remains that the thing we haven't touched on is how? How is this really possible? How exactly can the Lord, God himself, really be with us? We've got an oil and water situation here, right? Holy God, unholy people, the two don't mix. 
And this is what makes Christmas so amazing for me, despite all the craziness and chaos and stress and everything else that's going on. Because the birth of Jesus Christ, this moment of incarnation, is what makes the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, possible. If you look, if your Bibles are still open in Matthew 1, look at verse 21. It's only because Jesus will save his people from their sins that God can now truly and fully be with us. It's his gracious act of deliverance on the cross that, that is the song we're about seeing. It says, you know, ransoms captive Israel. It's the painful darkness and separation of the cross which allows us to celebrate with joy the promise and the privilege of experiencing Emmanuel, God truly with us. It's a point Matthew himself makes clear at the very end of his gospel, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, when Jesus says to his disciples, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And unlike Isaiah, that's no longer a prophecy pointing hundreds of years into some distant and uncertain future. That's a present, lived reality that's accessible for each and every one of you because of his death on the cross, because of the resurrection. Jesus is with you always to the end of the age. And may that be your source of comfort and joy this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for this reminder of your promise to be with us always to never abandon us or forsake us. A promise secured for us on the cross at great cost for our healing and our blessing and our help. A sacrifice that brings us peace with you. Lord, we're so thankful for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen.